Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the FO News Show. My name is Kale Clinton, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Jackson Roberts. Jackson, getting down at crunch time in the NFL, final month of the calendar, final full month, at least, of the regular season. We're starting to look at postseason scenarios. We're starting to look at odds, getting into those final elimination brackets. We had a doozy of a news week. Let's get some energy going, Kale. Come on now. No monotone. Buddy, Here we go. It is. It's tough. I, I'm always high energy. I'm always dialed in for the news. But, hey, it's a little tough when the news is as somber and disheartening as it is. A lot of faces of the league, a lot of important players on impactful teams in terms of the NFL playoff landscape. Dropping left and right. When you put it that way, I get it. However, we're still going to bring the energy. This was, as you said, not the happiest of news weeks, but certainly a very impactful news week. A lot of things going on across the league. I do feel as though for one glorious like three-hour stretch there, and you got to remember I'm a baseball guy, so it was baseball was kind of taking the headlines a little bit. Aaron Judge signs the contract. Nope, football seized it right back, right before we went live. So, big breaking news, story of the day. Got to dive right into it. Let us get right into it. Perfect segue. Buffalo Bills, edge rusher, Von Miller, officially ruled out for the rest of the season. It's initially believed that he was able to fully avoid uh, some season-threatening knee injuries and able to avoid surgery altogether. The initial diagnosis was a lateral meniscus tear. And while he was placed on injured reserve, there was hope he could maybe make a return for the postseason. Nope. Turns out, Sean McDermott announces Wednesday that Vaughn Miller undergoes successful ACL surgery. Tough break for the Bills team. They have, in the two weeks without Vaughn Miller, really reshaped how their defense functions. Going with a lot more blitz. Like, don't have that same kind of edge presence. Uh, losing a guy like Miller. Kind of holistically picking up the slack, you know. And AJ and Vanessa in there. And Ed Oliver in there. But it is tough to replace the singular impact that a guy like Von Miller has on this Buffalo Bills defense. Yeah, I just think about what Von Miller must have gone through when he woke up and realized that, you know, whoever was doing the surgery said, hey, you actually had a torn ACL, and we fixed it. So that's good news, but that's the end of your season, pretty much. Like, that is a very tough break. Our contrast to a week ago, right before we did the show, right before he was placed on IR, I think we actually did the show, and then the next day he was placed on IR. He was initially saying he wanted to be back for this week's Jets game, uh, and now in a week we've gone from that to done for the season. Uh, So... Really tough blow. Uh, Miller was leading the team in sacks prior to his injury, was tied for 12th in the NFL at the time. He was also fifth among all linebackers in pressures. He had 40 on the season. So that speaks to kind of the numerical impact of what he does. But even beyond that, the reason you bring in Avon Miller, and we saw it with the Rams last year, is the impact a guy like that can have in the postseason with his experience, Super Bowl MVP, 
can turn it on at the right time and the veteran leadership and postseason experience he brings to a locker room. Obviously, he'll still be in the locker room, so that helps, but it is undoubtedly devastating not to be able to have him out there on the field. Yeah, not only just a massive veteran presence, a huge, huge impact on the football field. There is some good news for Buffalo. You know, Tredavious White is picking up his snap count, so that secondary is building back out after being a little bit banged up a lot of the year. You're seeing some better performance out of this edge group, out of this, you know, very deep, admittedly very deep front seven, especially along that uh, defensive line, especially on the edges. But guy like Miller, even at his age, irreplaceable to the team. If you had given me a list of, you know, who are the five most crucial bills to them making a title run this year at the start of the season, I mean, yeah, I give you Stefan Diggs, I give you Josh Allen, those are locks. I think two out of my remaining three would have probably been Micah Hyde and Von Miller, and now obviously both gone for the year. Tough pill to swallow. You'd love to get Trey White back doing Trey White things. Jordan Poyer has stepped up in an enormous way. He's probably on that list of five now as well. Uh, and I'd probably go Ed Oliver for my other one. But, yeah, just really tough when things, you know, at the start of the year you're thinking preseason Super Bowl favorite. Now here they are back in the one seed, and this just kind of throws a little bit of water on them getting the one seed back. But, I mean, you still can't rule this team out. That has to be said. There's still oh, certainly not. endless talent on both sides of the ball. Uh, this is just a really, really tough loss. We'll see how they respond. Been doing well so far. Again, picking up blitz rates, big, uh, big kind of group holistic impact to replace Miller, but again, irreplaceable guy. Moving on to Tennessee, the biggest news out of yesterday, what would have led this show prior to the announcement of Miller's uh, sidelining for the season. Tennessee Titans fired general manager John Robinson. Robinson. Brought on in 2016. This season, coming into this season, signed an extension that would have tied him to the team through 2027. Ownership, apparently, despite the Tennessee Titans being in first place, was not happy with the current state of their roster. Team owner Amy Adams Strunk said, I am proud of what we have accomplished in my eight seasons of ownership, but I believe there's more to be done and higher aspirations to be met. I want to thank John for his dedicated work to set this organization on an upward trajectory. And I wish him and his family the best really kind of interesting career trajectory lands to Tennessee Titans mainstays in his first draft of the team, Derrick Henry safety, Harold Landry also, Acquires quarterback Ryan Tannehill in 2019 for a song. Completely changes the trajectory of the Titans. He's finishing fifth and sixth among quarterbacks in DVOA's first two years starting on the team. Recent draft's been a little bit more shaky. There's the obvious flame out of tackle Isaiah Wilson, who played one game for the Titans. Then they've taken on two. Pretty injury-prone players in 2021 first-rounder Caleb uh, Caleb Farley, the cornerback, as well as 2022 rookie wide receiver Traylon Burks. The three 
first round picks over the last three years combined for 21 games. He's also hit on a number of undrafted free agents and wide receiver Nick, uh, Nick Westbrook Kine and defensive tackle Tier Tart. But Jackson, it is tough to separate the immediacy of this firing from what occurred on Sunday. Biggest move of last offseason, 2022 second round A.J. Brown. Their first matchup with the team, A.J. Brown, runs rampant on the Titans' defense. Yeah, you can look at this firing as an immediate reaction to that, or the only other possibility I see is something that happened completely behind closed doors that we would have no idea about. So for what we can say, what we can speculate on, and we're not even really in the speculatory business, a lot of it seems tied to A.J. Brown. You've seen the clip cycling throughout the week of Mike Vrabel's reaction to the A.J. Brown trade on draft night. Bears, uh, it, it bears acknowledgement that, of course, Robinson brought Vrabel in as well as the team's new head coach before the 2018 season. So maybe a little bit of dysfunction there. Who knows? I mean, GMs and head coaches, not always on the same page, just a fact of the matter. Uh, but the A.J. Brown thing stings. And I think it really stings because he didn't get some crazy record-breaking above market value deal he got what wide receiver ones get a 25 million dollar year average annual value uh, and that's that's what he can expect when when you're playing at the level that aj brown is when you've really become a transcendent wide receiver in an otherwise pretty unexplosive titans offense over the past few years a ground and pound uh you know clock management you know, possession offense. A.J. Brown was, you know, the, the guy that could take the top off it. And you've seen the contested catchability in the past couple weeks. He's he's a bona fide wide receiver one, and all he did was go to a team with one of his best buddies and get paid like a wide receiver one, and now he's on, you know, the fast track to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, fascinating thing to me is that, like, like the timing is very uh, – Interesting to say the least. Yeah. Outside of, you know, some sprinklings of like proverbial power struggle between John Robinson and Mike Vrabel that I, you know, most recently saw reported from pro football talk, like the actual execution of the job that Robinson did in putting together a roster is fine. Like, all, like there's there's certain elements that hurt. But if you're building a number one defense by rush DVOA, you know, pass defense by DVOA is 22nd of 32. But just how good that front seven that he's built between Harold Landry, Bud Dupree, and then getting filling guys, situational players like Tart. Like, you're still rounding out to a very solid, very respectable defense. Corners haven't shaken out how you like. The secondary really, in general, hasn't shaken out how you may like outside of Bayard. But, like, he's building a solid defense. And he's finding, like, you know, whether it's a Nick Westbrook, Akine, or Chester Rogers, like, he's finding the depth guys. The problem has been hitting on the next top. Uh, like the, you know, hitting on guys like A.J. Brown. And the one time that he does, it's there's a 
I guess, cap incentivized decision to move on from him. And even if they were going to take a year off, proverbially speaking, you know, because they're still number one in the AFC South, it, not take a year off, but take a step back this year. You thought that you could be, you thought you could replace a guy like AJ Brown with a similar body type and similar college film in Traylon Burks and make it work. There's a lot of bets on injury prone players. And it just hasn't quite worked out the way you thought it would. You hit on Justin Simmons, who falls into your lap because of being injury prone. And it hasn't really hit since. Yeah, if, if building a football team were just in the front seven, I think John Robinson, you can say, is like a top three GM, especially the past two, three years. Uh, Simmons, Danico Autry, Harold Landry, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's obviously a lot more to it. I I think I'd, I question the timing most of all because, yes, you've lost your last two. Yes, the A.J. Brown thing was embarrassing. You think about the two games you lost, it's to the Bengals and the Eagles, which arguably the two hottest teams in the league right now. Uh, you're still in first place. You're absolutely going to be in the playoffs. Have you seen the Colts lately? Um, what exactly does the timing of this do to a locker room? It's not as if the GM has a ton of moves to make between now and the end of the season. This is, you know, it's not an impactful move from a roster construction standpoint necessarily, but it certainly impacts the way that the people who are in the facilities see their own team. It's like, wait, are we dysfunctional? Are we, are we not good right now? What exactly does this mean for us? Uh, I think it's a very interesting strategic move and I question why it couldn't wait to the off season. Yeah, that I, that I also question. You haven't really seen many front office, if any front office firings yet, I guess uh, being first in, uh, first to kind of check in on prospects, proverbially speaking, for the front office position. Might yeah, be a bit more worried about next year, though, right? I mean, it's it's still all about this year, or at least it should be. Yeah, listen, I, I am in full agreement with you. Don't know. It'll remain to be seen how it holds out. Maybe it's some kind of vote of confidence that, you know, this team is performing well but should be performing better. I'm not sure. Or maybe it's just that egg on the face of a mistake immediately biting you in the short term and not being willing to wait out the long term. Robinson has been replaced by vice president of player personnel, Ryan Cowden. He'll take over the job in interim the rest of the season. Moving on to Baltimore, Lamar Jackson left Sunday currently diagnosed with a PCL sprain, reported recovery time of one to three weeks. John Harbaugh has labeled him week to week, but says it's probably less likely he'll play this week. Jackson ranks 16th and 15th in passing DYAR and DVOA, respectively. A fantastic rushing quarterback, someone who singularly creates offense for the Baltimore Ravens, Jackson. Quite the loss for this team. It is, but it's also, it, it compounds week over week, right? Tyler Huntley starts this week against the Steelers. I think Tyler Huntley can beat the Steelers. Steelers are going to be favorites in the game, but not by much. It's doable. Next week, Browns. 
it starts to get a little more dicey. Browns look terrible this past week, but, you know, I still think there's there's top 10 QB in Deshaun Watson somewhere. Not to go into the ethics of Deshaun Watson being on an NFL football field right now, but a couple weeks to adjust, you never know what you're going to see out of him. And it just keeps growing and growing the further more you get down the road if Lamar's not back, uh, how dire these games get. Yes, they are currently up in the division on Cincinnati. Yes, according to our odds, they have a 53.1% chance to win the division compared to Cincinnati's 45. But you start to see it get a little more dicey week in, week out if you lose any of these games. Uh, And they have a lower chance to make the playoffs than the Bengals, which there's a doomsday scenario here where the uh, the Ravens kind of fall out of it if they lose two or three in a row. So you don't expect that to necessarily happen. uh, But the longer you play a backup quarterback, the riskier it gets. Yeah, that's my concern. They have the tiebreaker with Cincinnati. They don't have the tiebreaker. They lose the tiebreaker with Miami. If they happen to dip into wild card, they have it with the Jets. Like now you're really getting into the weeds here of Yeah. Like Jets, you're playing the tiebreaker game. Patriots. These are the teams you need to be worried about. And you have and you know, it's all within one to two games. The replacement level value of Huntley is interesting because he's shown a capability to run an offense. You should last year when Lamar Jackson goes down, Huntley's able to come in and at least operate high completion percentage on a lot of passes. Score doesn't break his way in a lot of one score games. He goes one in three in those in his four starts with the Ravens, but each of those games in itself is a one score game. The biggest margin that any of those games were decided by was three points. (laughs) That comes both in their win and their loss. He's two more games decided by one point. So record isn't quite indicative of what Huntley can bring to this team, but absolutely like a solid filling quarterback. It is just you are playing on the razor's edge of a division lead. And like you said, there is that nightmare scenario where if they fall fast enough, if they, if you know, if they start losing coin flips the way they were in those, you know, one point to three point losses, it could be a nightmare scenario where they just miss the playoffs outright. Yeah, he, you know, what helps for continuity is he obviously shares a lot of similar traits to Lamar, right? The high completion percentage, the rushing ability. Talking about a guy who's averaging eight point four yards per carry in his NFL career. Uh, and wins the game against Denver with a rushing touchdown. So there's continuity there, uh, but there's obviously no replacing Lamar Jackson because if there were, then Lamar Jackson wouldn't be being talked about as one of the biggest free agents, you know, recent football memory this upcoming offseason. So there's a lot that Tyler Huntley is going to have to step up and do, especially with this offense, which it's one thing if you lose your quarterback and you're the 49ers who we're about to get to, who have a loaded skill group around him. It's entirely another, if you have Mark Andrews kind of having a weird season with injuries and more drops than usual. And you're, you know, Rashad Bateman was supposed to be your wide receiver one he's done. So now Tyler Huntley is throwing to Demarcus Robinson, 36 year old Deshaun Jackson, Devin Duvernay and Prochet. Like there's, there's more interesting skill groups out there. That's for sure. Yeah, it was very interesting. Like Huntley was working last year 
with Bateman, Sammy Watkins, Devin Duvernay, and Hollywood Brown. Like, a much better skill position group to work with. And the running back situation was a little bit worse. They were sort of having their revolving door last year. It's a revolving door this year. Absolutely. It's not much better this year. But at least, you know, you get a Gus Edwards in. You get a, like, he had J.K. Dobbins for stretches, I guess. He's not fully shut down for the year. We'll see where this ends up. Baltimore does have that Week 18 matchup against Cincinnati, which enough time for Jackson to recover. All Huntley has to do is get him there to a win and in. Because once you're there, you've given your team as best a shot as any to try and get it. Fully agree. It is in Cincinnati now, worth noting. Would be nice to not have to win, but... You know, you're tied now. So that's extremely unlikely, despite the fact that the Bengals do have one of the toughest schedules in the league on the way there with matchups against Tampa, the Bills, and the Patriots. Moving on, more quarterback news. San Francisco 49ers quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo goes down on Sunday with a foot injury against the Miami Dolphins. There's a stretch of time he was believed to have been done for the year with a list Frank injury. However, bright news in San Francisco. There is some glimmer of hope that Garoppolo is able to play. He's fully avoided surgery, and his return time has now been estimated at seven to eight weeks. As ESPN's Adam Schefter noted while reporting this story, the divisional round is seven weeks to the day of the injury, while the conference championship is eight weeks. Also threw in that if they happen to get there, the Super Bowl is 10 weeks away and would be theoretically more than enough runtime for Garoppolo to make a comeback if a Jackson. Again, another pretty tightly contested division race. You're going with Brock Purdy as your starting quarterback. For the immediate future. Do you think they get there? Do you think they hold on enough? Just to win the division? Oh, just just like to push far enough to even make this comeback window possible? If the window is what it's reported to be, I'll say it's about 50-50, maybe a little bit worse. It's definitely possible. Um you know, the Shanahan offense is designed to put quarterbacks in positions that they're capable of accomplishing and, you know, nothing more. So if you watch Brock Purdy, if you watched him for four years at Iowa State, if you watched him on Sunday, you'd say he's accurate. They will give him opportunities to hit short passes, but he, you know, arm strength, not really his thing. So if they get into a shootout, if they find themselves having to score two touchdowns in five minutes. I'm, I'm not feeling great about his ability to do that. But what helps him that isn't on the side of the Ravens and why the Niners were so good without a Lamar Jackson at quarterback is they have the number two defense by DVOA. They have Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk. The list goes on. Jawan Jennings. Trent Williams for good. protection. Yeah. And a top five offensive line. So – There's a lot of positives working in the Niners' favor. If you had to drop a 
Mr. Irrelevant quarterback into any situation, this would be the one that you would want to be dropped into, but he's still a Mr. Irrelevant quarterback. And it's one thing I think, Kale, to be dropped into the middle of a marquee matchup like the Dolphins game and have no idea you were going to be playing that day, but just get in there, adrenaline rush, keep the wheels from falling off versus now you have a whole week to prepare and you're going to walk on the field on Sunday and you're going to look across the sideline and you're going to see the goat Tom Brady on the opposite sideline. You're going to be like, wow, it's me versus him today. That I think is a very different proposition. So I'm extremely interested to see how Purdy plays the next few weeks. Yeah, I'm fat. I'm fascinated first off by them starting off with the Justin Herbert method for the uninitiated and Terod Taylor was unceremoniously dropped from uh, the Chargers starting role with a uh, punctured lump for a cortisone shot. Uh, Justin Herbert got his first start at home against the Kansas City Chiefs and took them to overtime. Uh, ended up losing, but a, uh, a valiant starting effort that he didn't know he was going to have to make until the coin toss. Uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating because this isn't a – quarterback or really offensively led team it's a fantastic defense and you are also paying uh Christian McCaffrey Debo Samuel George Kittle Trent Williams you are paying four players in the top five top ten highest in their position I know Christian McCaffrey and Trent Williams lead their respective position groups in APY contract value it'll <laughs> He'll have the weapons necessary to get it done. It's just a matter of how much can, one, the defense, and two, that major support on the offensive end, keep Purdy afloat to get there. You know, I get why you bring up the Herbert comparison, but let's not forget Rock Purdy drafted 256 slots lower than Justin Herbert was in the yes. draft. So there is a bit of a talent deficit there. Oh, certainly, certainly. But, eh, yeah, first round, last pick, who's counting? Not me. Football Outsiders gives the 49ers a 78.6% chance to win the NFC West currently and a 94.4% chance to make the playoffs. However, because of the sample size of Purdy, it is almost impossible to adjust those odds to go from a quarterback who was third in DVOA and third in DYAR to a last overall pick in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, hey, Aaron Schatz says today that our odds are now updated to include the possibility of Jimmy G returning for the playoffs. I don't really know how those numbers work out, but... That's that's what we have to go on right now. Those numbers and very limited other information. Moving on to more injury news, kind of. The Odell Beckham free agency tour has concluded, made visits to the Giants, Bills, and Cowboys. According to ESPN, there is a, quote, good possibility that he lands with the Dallas Cowboys. According to ESPN's Tim McMahon, Beckham, or, uh, did Beckham say it's a good possibility? Yeah, that's, that's where the good possibility quote comes from, is Beckham himself. With that being said, 
A second report from ESPN's Ed Werder reports that the Cowboys have concerns about Beckham's ACL and whether he would even be ready to play this season. Beckham has reportedly refused to work out for any team, and because of that, Jerry Jones is very skeptical of signing Odell, even in this season. He's already talked about the fact that there are no rush to sign him, but he took to 105.3 The Fan for his weekly radio appearance and eventually made note of the fact that Beckham enjoyed the trip. They went to a Dallas Mavericks game, sat courtside, but he did eventually note that Beckham is not working out for teams. It led to a question about Jones's confidence in signing a player coming off an injury like that. And Jones responded candidly, I'm not confident at all. And so that's the issue. Now we all realize the issue of health, the issue of availability is here every time. Just this one is very obvious and very pointed toward his injury that occurred last year in the Super Bowl. We got a good beat on that. We got a great read on his career. It's not like a draft pick coming to you. You've got a lot of history here, and you can take a good look at it. Not only the obvious, and that is performance, but also is any issues regarding health. So we've got to come in with our eyes open. I'm sorry. So all this, we got to come in with our eyes wide open, and it has to be addressed. And that's when you can see if you can make a deal or not. Jones says there is not a major chance that he even plays in mid-January and that there is no urgency to sign him until 2023. Jackson, that being said, he's looking for a deal through 2023 with any team that he signs. If you're getting Odell Beckham in some capacity this year and guaranteed to have him on the books next year with a full offseason of recovery under him, is that still worth the signing just to commit the money now? It might be. I mean, every team's in their own unique situation, right? And the Cowboys of the three teams we're talking about have a little more wiggle room with the cap than Buffalo and the Giants do. This is the first time that I personally have felt like the winds were blowing towards, oh, he's just not going to play this season which is a bummer. And maybe we should have, you know, seen more of those warning signs earlier on, but it was always just sort of not a given, but in my head, it was always, okay, we're waiting for Odell Beckham to come back for the playoffs. Anyone who stashed Odell Beckham on their fantasy bench was, you know, presumably under the same impression. Uh, And now this is really kind of the first time in my estimation that we're seeing strong pushback against that idea. Very concerning. Uh, So it may just be a next season thing. I mean, all these teams that he was visiting, right? You're not thinking about next season yet. These are teams that were thinking, we're getting Odell Beckham to help us win a Super Bowl this year. In the Giants' case, we have no receivers right now. We can go get other receivers in the offseason. There's nobody else that's going to be available right now to help us win in the postseason. So that that was the point of the free agency tour. That was the whole point of you know, the interest being as high as it was now was Beckham being able to help this year. If it's just a next year thing, sure, it can be worth it, but it definitely changes the whole scope of what's been going on for the past month and why we've been covering the story as closely as we have. Now, 
where are you at with Odell right now? Just as a player, he's 30. He's had a number of season ending injuries at this point. He hasn't, he's, he, sorry, in his eight seasons in the league, he's now finished three straight with a negative DVOA. He's only finished with a positive DVOA twice in his career, or four, uh, four times in his career. But <laughs> was tr- pretty transcendent for the Rams in the immediate replacement of Robert Woods and was doing very well in that Super Bowl before going down on the logo around midfield. Are you willing to invest in a guy like Odell? Like it's, as Jerry Jones said, a lot of history there, a lot of up and down. You've still seen flashes of good. I don't know how much to factor in Cleveland, but it's hard to ignore at the same time. Yeah, I'm looking at my team's individual situation and thinking about whether or not I have the built-in infrastructure to make an Odell Beckham work, and I'm basing it off the model of last year's Rams. I think the Cowboys are probably the closest thing we have right now to last year's Rams. Marquee talent on both sides of the ball, a clear-cut wide receiver one above Odell Beckham. If you're bringing Odell in to be a bona fide, above-average wide receiver two, and you're maybe paying a little bit over market value for that, then I think it works because I think the singular abilities he brings, maybe not from start to finish in a season, but he can catch lightning in a bottle. We saw it with the five touchdowns in six games last year. There's there's still marquee talent there. He's just not going to put up an entire season of 1,500 yards, 10 touchdowns, whatever it was that he was averaging in his early Giants days. You know, he's not going to be that explosive guy who breaks a 70-yard slant and, and runs it to the house and does the jitterbug in the end zone. That's not the guy he's going to be anymore. But I still think Odell can be a very productive player, and I'm, I'm looking at my team situation. I'm looking at not only what my needs are, but what I have built in to make Odell the best that he can be. And I think if you're the Cowboys, that's the perfect situation for him. There might be other teams too, the Bills. Depends how you feel about Gabe Davis. I think he's taken a hit in many of our eyes as a bona fide wide receiver two this year. The Giants don't have a one or a two, so who knows what that ends up meaning for Odell. But I think the Cowboys and Bills make the most sense to me because they have that infrastructure that he can come and fit right into. Yeah, a pretty easy slide in there. I'd love to see how he works in that offense. I'd love to see, you know, take some pressure off a guy like a Michael Gallup, like then you're really opening things up on a Dallas offense. Let's move on to Miami. Miami Dolphins are getting thin at the tackle position. South Beach diet, Kale? (laughs) Not that kind of thin, but I like where your head's at. Austin Jackson, right tackle. For the Miami Dolphins, just been placed on IR. This is his second IR stint. First one had him missing nine games this season with an ankle injury. Teron Armstead is also doubtful with a pectoral injury or was listed as doubtful, ended up missing the game. Miami signs Eric Fisher, 
former number one overall pick, which is a very interesting signing because he plays the other side of the line as Jackson, which is if you're going to more likely than not have Armstead back, creates a bit of a situation where you've got to flip Fisher to the other side. Jackson, without both starting tackles, how do you think Miami is going to fare in the passing attack? San Francisco was a big test for him. Yeah, I, it's interesting. It, a lot of it depends on this week. Mike McDaniel says Monday that he's, quote, optimistic or that Armstead is optimistic that he'll be able to play this week. So if Armstead is back, that's obviously a huge deal. We talked about impactful signings with the Dolphins this offseason. Tyreek Hill, huge one. Armstead, not that far behind. Pretty transcendent talent at the left tackle position. Uh, They, of course, see seven pressures, five hurries, not crazy high numbers against the Niners this week, but three sacks all by Nick Bosa, uh, and that's just going to make you uncomfortable no matter what the other numbers look like. Uh, Tua throws his first two interception game in a long time, certainly of this season. So who knows? I think, side note, I've been really interested this year by how many like big names slightly past their heyday have signed mid-season this year, have you know made comeback pushes. In the case of a guy like Pat Peterson, have had career resurgences a couple years after you thought it was still in there. So I have no idea how this Eric Fisher thing is going to play out. And normally I would say like, oh, he wasn't playing this year. What impact is that going to have? He was in the Pro Bowl two years ago. Not that the Pro Bowl is like the arbiter of all things football talent, but it's not like he's just done as a football player. And the fact that he was just chilling these past 13 weeks, nothing to do, waiting for the right opportunity, who knows what you're going to get. We've seen the prevalence in injury rate in a lot of just players across the league. I think it's what, like, not only that, but I guess also just not wanting to. Like extend your shelf life for as long as possible, not want to go through the wear and tear of a season. It's why you see guys like Indomitian Sue and Linval Joseph waiting for their best scenario, uh, contending for a playoff team. It's why Othell Beckham's, aside from the knee injury, it's why he sat out so long. You're looking for a playoff push there. Eric Fisher, though, last year, played for the Colts, according to Sports Info Solution. 4.6% blown block rate. That's pretty much his career high outside of the season where he only played eight games, where it was a 4.8% blown block rate on 392 snaps. Last year was a 46 on 820. Also, pretty high in the penalty department as well, six total. Uh, four false starts, two holding. Uh, he's lost a step. Like it's 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 gonna be a difficult task for him to seamlessly transition into this line, especially if he's playing right tackle, filling in for Jackson, flipping and having Armstead continue to play left tackle. It'll be really interesting to see how Miami kind of handles this, just because you know. It's a big challenge, and you're having a big fill-in, and part of the success of your offense is running these deep vertical concepts that take time to set up. You also neglect that, you know, 
on top of the three sacks. Do also had a strip sack in there, forced fumble that he lost. So you're getting a lot in here. He's taking more hits, the ball security thing, getting pressured heavy, and you're not having as much time to throw downfield. I'm very intrigued to see how this goes. Hope nothing but the best for Austin Jackson. If his injury is not season ending, Fisher serves as a great depth piece. If it is, it'll be a test to see how they integrate him into the lineup. Teams deal with this stuff often, but it doesn't make it any less impactful. That's the sport these guys play, right? It's a plug-and-play business. Week in, week out, you never know who's going to be available and you have to make do. This could be one of those injuries that kind of out of sight but brings down the team a lot more than you expect, or it could be no big deal. So that's why you're right. It's it's totally going to be a wait-and-see type of thing, how they can integrate him and how much of an impact it actually has. Moving on to Green Bay. Jackson, Aaron Rodgers not having his best season would be the first season with a negative DVOA since 2015. Currently ranks 18th in the league with a negative 0.2, so he's just on that cusp. Green Bay Packers are pretty much out of playoff contention. Aaron Rodgers also this past offseason signed the first NFL contract to cross the $50 million a year threshold. Which is why it's not surprising, yet not too surprising, that the Green Bay Packers have officially said they want Aaron Rodgers back in 2023. Going to Brian Gutenkunst. I mean, we all want our guys back. We made a big commitment to him this offseason. This is obviously something that was really important to us. But like we've talked about in the past, this is something we'll sit down with him after the season, and it will be something we do together and move forward that way. Little little media speak buried in there, but the general sense is that there's a mutual desire to continue this team quarterback marriage. Jax, given the current performance this year, the value that he's at, and the little the little taste on Sunday night football that we got of Jordan Love against the Philadelphia Eagles, where do you stand on the Packers keeping Aaron Rodgers around? I mean, I can give you 58.3 million reasons the Packers are keeping Aaron Rodgers around. It's the value of his guaranteed roster bonus for next season that can only be voided if he retires. That doesn't sound like something that can be voided if he gets traded, which I know it's not, and the Packers also know it's not, so they know that nobody's probably going to trade for him. That's a huge number. There's a team like the New York Jets who are a quarterback away I would love to have someone like Aaron Rodgers. I don't think they love him enough to spend $58 million on him. Rodgers says on Sunday, quote, there's got to be mutual desire on both sides. So he's he's still kind of playing the chess game, and they always save these conversations until late in the offseason, year in, year out. But it's it's weird. It's really weird because at the peak of his powers, I mean, this is the two-time defending MVP we're talking about here. But it's about to be 40. He's not playing like a two-time MVP right now. That's for darn sure. He hasn't thrown for 300 yards yet this year. 
in a league that passing numbers have dipped a little bit, but are still a lot higher than they were when Rodgers came into the league. And the, what really makes the situation interesting for me is Goot Kunst also saying that he thinks he's seen enough of Jordan Love to decide on whether or not they end up picking up the fifth-year option because this year is over, right? Next year seems like Rodgers is going to be the guy. 2024 is when it really gets interesting because Rodgers is still under contract and they have to decide on whether or not to pick up Love's fifth-year option. So who knows? I mean, one offseason is usually enough time to be confused about what Aaron Rodgers wants for his future. When we're talking about two off seasons from now, who knows? Aaron Rodgers could be in any state of mind going into the 2024 season. And I do not want to be in the position of having to decide whether or not to keep my other quarterback while waiting out Aaron Rodgers that far ahead. Yeah, it is. They are in a sticky situation to say the least. Rodgers' contract is partly not fully, but partly one of the reasons why they couldn't pay wide receiver Devonta Adams, leading to his trade. If you're keeping Rodgers around, you'd probably want further offensive infrastructure around him. Uh, you're not really getting that when you're paying your quarterback 53 mil. He's got a cap number of 31.6, which helps things a bit. But you also have to remember that you know you're paying David Bakhtiari a cap hit of 29 million dollars he hasn't really looked functional at times uh very rotational very up and down Aaron Jones has a deal that kicks into 20 mil a year uh there's a lot of dead cap on the books from a few premier players and if you're looking to spice up kind of you know reinvigorate this passing offense unless you're going to keep doing it through the draft which hasn't quite worked out in the sense that rogers is throwing young receivers under the bus chris watson looks great yeah let me just jump in here let me just jump in here i think if you're looking at wide receiver duos for next year if they're healthy and you're getting the production that you've gotten from them at their best this year Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson as a tandem, both going into year two with another training camp under their belt. Sounds pretty good. And I think, you know, Alan Lazard's your three, which is kind of what he's always been best served as. Maybe you keep Randall Cobb around. Bob Tunyon, not the best tight end, but an option in the passing game. Like that sounds pretty good, especially when you throw in Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. A.J. Dillon's played really well the last couple of weeks. So I know that they don't exactly have money to go out and do it. And I get it, Aaron, you missed Devontae Adams. He's great. But what you have around you, I think is a lot better than people are generally willing to give them credit for right now. And certainly better than a group that deserves to be thrown under the bus week in, week out. Bit of a wrench. Lazard's a free agent. Ah. And he's 22nd in the league in DVOA. Currently making three mil a year. He's not going to be making three mil a year next year. No, I think he's probably gone. So. Remove him from my argument in that case. (laughs) But I really like Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson. I think they're very complementary in their skill sets. Watson's super fast. Dobbs is just kind of a gamer, has great ball skills, really tough, you know, catching traffic. So I'm I'm excited to see what those two can do together for the foreseeable future. I I just hope you like them enough to 
make it all work? Because according to Over the Cap, Packers have 3.3 million cap space with 45 players contracted. So unless you're making trades and you're trying to like, you know, you're going to do the Saints dead cap thing where you're pushing money back and you're just going to make it work for now at Rodgers, you're pretty much stuck with this roster. Uh, You're going to probably build it out with your draft set and UDFAs and the extra picks that you got from the Devontae Adams trade. But if this is what you're bringing back to help Rodgers, you've got to find a way to give a little bit more support than you have, just in my opinion. Yeah, and we've got to get off this story. So last, last point. But, I mean, the defense has six first-round picks on it. So that's the real problem here. Yeah. Is they've invested draft capital in the defense year in, year out. It is not performing one bit this year, uh, especially in the run game. They're just getting gouged week in and week out. So that's your biggest concern. If they're going to be better next year, it's not just that he has to get comfortable with this offensive skill group. It's that these. It's not that you have the capital to spend on improving your defense. It's that these guys – who come in with high pedigrees have to step up, just have to. Yeah. Again, this was going to be a defensive leg group with some offensive quirks in it. Offensive quirks have shown. Defense hasn't really lived up to its rep. But like you said, got to move on. Rounding out the show. Our injury report is kind of flushed out through the show, so we're not doing our usual roundup. We're closing out. With a first off, just a great feature by ESPN Seth Wickersham. The first really in depth interview that former Indianapolis quarterback Andrew Luck has given since his surprise retirement at the end of 2018. Yeah, pre 2019 season, right before it. Yes. Uh, yeah, uh, preseason of 2019. That's it. It's exclusive. First off, just highly recommend. He's currently leading a grad program at uh, or participating in a graduate program at Stanford. He details the entire uh, injury process recovery. Uh, has a uh, six-week time period that he only refers to as Holland. Uh, gets very uh, deep and philosophical. Uh, there's one nugget in there that we have to share, Jackson, about Frank Reich. So good. Uh, Frank Reich, this season, at one point, was, I mean, he obviously stayed in contact with Andrew Luck. Uh, Andrew Luck shared a lot of his growth and recovery with Frank Reich. And at one point, he was in the car and listening to the radio and the song Message in a Bottle comes on. And that gets Frank Reich to thinking, hey. Maybe it's time to just throw it out there. So he sends a text to Andrew Luck that says, I'm sending out an SOS. Uh, please come back and play quarterback for me. Andrew Luck, of course, says, no, I think I'm pretty moved on. But just really wasn't expecting to see that detail. That not only did Frank Reich try to get Andrew Luck in the building to really, you know, potentially save his job, but also that it came about in the way that it did, which is uh, – Classic 80s pop song, just putting an idea in his noggin. Yeah, real worm on the hook of <laughs> how about you play behind this offensive line and throw to Alec Pierce and Michael Pittman. Great bait, great bait, Frank. But we bring this up because there's an interesting nugget in there. As you said, back at Stanford, seeking so graduate degree in education 
the story kind of rounds out with Luck revealing that he has an interest to try and start a coaching career. No major details about, you know, what level, not college, pro. He participated at a high school in Colorado where he pretty much divulged this entire story and all the musings within to the team about, like, he was originally just going to watch practice and kind of, you know, maybe help out a bit and ends up really, really getting philosophical with these high schoolers. And Jackson, if I'm right, it led him to the revelation that he, the education degree is part of doing the coaching thing the right way and doing it in a more, you know, developmental and nurturing way than modern traditional coaching is typically seen as. Yeah. Um, just to even like back it up further. I mean, Andrew Luck, uh, I'm a, I'm a Bay area kid. Uh, Andrew Luck is my favorite college athlete ever. Just bar none. Nobody even comes close to comparing the first ever college football game I went to was a Stanford USC game. I think 2010 it was where Andrew Luck made the tackle on a USC linebacker after his running back had fumbled and he just lowered the boom. Uh, And every week, something like that would happen. Andrew Luck's making one-handed catches on the sideline. Tom Brady could never. Andrew Luck's fitting the ball in tight windows. He's running downfield. He's the best and most exciting college athlete I've witnessed in person. And also just a captivating guy to follow. Always rooted for him in his NFL career, which kind of went against my lifelong uh, ambivalence toward the Indianapolis Colts franchise. All that went out the window when he was there because he, aside from maybe Tom Brady, is my favorite quarterback I've ever you know rooted for. So I just think he has such a bright future ahead of him, whatever he ends up choosing. I mean, you don't you don't want to use the whole like, oh, he went to Stanford, so he must be a smart guy. But the way that he showed, you know, just kind of vulnerability and introspection and personal growth uh, throughout reading this story, I just have. No doubts whatsoever that Andrew Luck is going to be a fantastic coach. Doesn't matter what level he chooses to be a coach at. I just, I, I would want to be on Andrew Luck's team. Beautiful, waxing poetic about Andrew Luck, a kernel of news within an otherwise fantastic profile. Uh, highly recommend. But hey, we could be breaking news about some kind of coaching job for the former Stanford and Colts quarterback. Very soon. Rounding out the show with Thursday Night Football News, Rams Raiders. Jackson started off with Baker Mayfield. Wasn't on the Rams the last time we filmed this show, but now he is. Asked for his release from the Carolina Panthers. There's a lot of speculation he would be wearing red and gold for the 49ers, giving some competition to Brock Purdy. Ram said, ah, 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 we have our own <laughs> injured quarterback struggles to deal with. Reported that Mayfield got a copy of the Rams playbook immediately and may be able to make an appearance in Thursday night's game. Again, the Panthers originally acquired Mayfield for a conditional fifth, which locks it in as a fifth because he was cut. 49ers did not put in that waiver claim despite the speculation. Kyle Shanahan said it would surprise me if Mayfield signs in San Francisco. How much impact, Jackson, do you think Mayfield can make to a Rams team that is otherwise starting a combination of John Wolford and Bryce Perkins and does not have Cooper Cup or 
Allen Robinson. Sorry, I framed it so dire. Yeah. (laughs) Not much, Kale. I hate to say it. Um, And I, you know, I'm not a Baker Mayfield hater whatsoever. If anything, there have been times in Baker Mayfield's career where I've really thought he was good and, you know, wanted him to have success. In 2020, it was a big step forward. Uh, Everything since 2020 has been a big step back. This year in particular, he was pretty dreadful whenever he was out on the field. Um, Just moving on from Cleveland clearly solved none of his problems, and it doesn't help that he was in a rough situation in Carolina. Turbulence of the head coaching position all season. You know, skill group. You have DJ Moore, but other than that, not much. Robbie Anderson, like, leaves town, forces his way out, and turns out to be the worst Arizona Cardinals wide receiver in the history of their franchise. So, I don't know, man. Baker, I wish him well. I hope that he finds it in L.A., but you look at what's around him, and you're like, oh, okay, this offensive line's lost multiple starters for the year and is one of the worst in the league. He could get absolutely beat up. He's not throwing to much. Uh I just don't see it. I don't I don't see it getting much better, unfortunately. Listen, I, I, I am very curious to see where he goes from here. Uh it'll it'll certainly be interesting if he gets another shot. Uh at this point, I doubt most of his starting opportunities will come or most of his roster opportunities will come outside of uh, on a competition-based system. I think the days of him walking into a starting job are over. And just given the performance that we've seen, seen out of him, if you if you take away that number one overall pick and go blank resume, uh, it's tough to justify, like, hard signing this guy. But it is, you know, listen, this is the stage you're given. You might be working with, you know, Ben Skoronek and Tyler Higby as your top two passing options and playing behind a pretty banged up offensive line, which as we've seen since being removed from Cleveland, doesn't exactly aid Mayfield well. But it is a shot for him. It's 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 a shot, it's a last second audition to quell some of the you know negative hype that's been put around him or negative coverage that is deservedly put around him after his last season in Cleveland and time in Carolina. I thought Carolina was the last shot before he was going to be resigned to at best a competition. So the fact that he is likely getting this shot uh, is, is probably more than I would have said he could have asked for, even though the situation is very dire, you know, this is still an opportunity to put a, a good few games together uh, and given what we know about the other quarterback on the Rams, one Matt Stafford, who was just placed on IR, and we'll tie him in here, you never know if Baker Mayfield might be auditioning not just for a starting job, but for the Rams starting job next year, because who knows if Matt Stafford's playing again. I'm just going to say it. Matt Stafford, placed on IR, done for the year, concussion and spinal contusion, I mean, who knows? Like, there's there's a prop, there's a possibility that Matt Stafford walks away from football this offseason. It is it is a violent injury that he is uh, currently under. That is, awesome. I guess Stafford didn't have the best year this year. Like twenty second, both DVOA and DYA are on pace for his lowest finish by DVOA since his rookie season in two thousand nine. 
for a man that was already mulling uh, his future, not quite retirement, but mulling his future at the very least, uh, an injury like this has to be tough. There's already been some sort of uh, speculation about his future in Los Angeles. It's listen, He hasn't been dealt a great hand. Now on the injured reserve for the Rams, is Cooper Cup, Matthew Stafford, Ashawn Robinson, Allen Robinson, Joe Noteboom, uh, Aaron Donald is now missing time for the team. Uh, <laughs> and Jackson, this could not be coming at a uh, a more publicly viewed time for the Rams. Each of the Rams' next three games, the standalone window against another team. Thursday night against Vegas, Monday night at Green Bay, and then Christmas Day with the Denver Broncos, Jackson. If you told me that the Christmas Day game between the Los Angeles Rams and the Denver Broncos uh, would be uh, borderline, I won't be as mean to say as unwatchable football, but about as close as you can get without me being rude, uh, I would not believe you. It's not going to be unwatchable football, Kale. You know why? Because that's a Nickelodeon broadcast now. Baker, Baker, Russ, Slime, SpongeBob. What more could you ask for? Oh my God! My favorite broadcast every year is the yes, sir, uh, is the simulcast at CBS that they do in the wild card round. And now you're telling me that they're going to be sliming Russell Wilson and Baker Mayfield. That's exactly what I'm you. Oh my God! Let's move on. Raiders flexed out of Sunday Night Football in Week 15. They will now play New England at 4:05 on CBS. It becomes a major implication game for the Raiders who have strung together some pretty impressive wins since their pretty abysmal start to the season. Josh McDaniels having his job called for, and now there's a chance that the Raiders in this afternoon game against New England will have the opportunity to leapfrog them in the wild card. Ninth hardest remaining schedule by football outsiders, but still has a viable chance to turn their season around and get into the playoffs. Yeah, so there's three five and seven teams in the AFC right now. Uh, it's Pittsburgh, it's the Raiders, and it's Cleveland. And if any of those three teams theoretically were to run the table, which is not likely, but not out of the realm of possibility, there's a good chance that you'd be seeing that team in the playoffs. And I think the Raiders, despite the fact that you just dropped, which is, quote, it's the ninth hardest remaining schedule, based on how they're playing, based on who's on the roster – I'm going to give them the best chance at it. You look at this Rams game. If you're serious about winning out, that's got to be a win. Home for New England, got to be a win if you're serious about winning out, even though New England, you know, has good weeks. At Pittsburgh, I mean, it's Kenny Pickett. You've got to be able to do some things against him. The Niners with Brock Purdy, so who knows what that looks like. And then Week 18, Kansas City, they could be playing for nothing that week. They could be sitting Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. You never know. So, a lot of things up in the air here for the Raiders. This game's got to be a win. This non-Sunday night football Patriots game has got to be a win. And then you'd be back at 500 kind of with your season throwing a lifeline. So it's 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 kind of cool. Raiders haven't lost since Derek Carr cried in the post-game press conference. Uh, two overtime wins and then a nice win against the Chargers where they kind of controlled that game. Uh, you know, I said Devontae Adams is kind of my guy to go off this week because the Rams are allowing the most yards per game to wide receiver ones. This is – their season's still on the table in front of them, and it does have to be said that if they had won 
any of the games where they led by at least 17 points and ended up losing, there are, of course, three of those games, they would be in a much better position than they even are now. Folks, that'll do it for us. <laughs> Close it out on a great note. After a bit of a dour intro, closing out on the hopes of the Raiders getting into their second winning in potentially week 18 playoff game in as many years. Let's end on some hope. That is very that is a very nice way to end it, Jackson. Way to lay lay out the roadmap for a potential big turnaround for this team. As always, gotta thank our sponsors. Over at Underdog Fantasy. Play on Underdog Fantasy with us and double your first deposit up to $100 of promo code OUTSIDERS. Are your season-long fantasy teams floundering? I know mine are. Yeah. Play Underdog's Battle Royale, a fast six-round weekly fantasy football draft with easier chances to win than traditional daily fantasy sports sites. You could even win $50,000 if you grab first place. Or you could try their Pick'em game, which has where you can easily pick players' chances to go higher or lower and projected stats, even in states where traditional prop betting currently isn't available. Underdog is the fastest-growing fantasy site around. Join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com or download Underdog in the App Store and use promo code OUTSIDERS now to double your first deposit up to $100. Jackson's Underdog Pick of the Week is Jared Goff. Let's go. Going to be an electric game against the Minnesota Vikings on Sunday night. That'll do it for the FO News Show. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Drop a subscription over on the FO Podcast Network where you can listen to us. You can catch us live Wednesdays at 1 p.m. over on Twitch and on YouTube. Drop a like. Drop a subscription. It helps a lot. goes a long way. You can always check the VODs out afterwards on the FO YouTube channel. For Jackson, I'm Kale. We'll see you next time.